Hello, everyone. It's Cheryl A. for the podcast On My Watch. There's a lot that I want to talk about today, but also, too, uh, it's the 27th, the 27th of December. So we're just past the Christmas, the Christmas Day break or the Christmas Day holiday, if you like, and moving into the new year. Well, Christmas was not good for the Palestinians. Clearly, they're not Christian, so they don't celebrate Christmas. However, Israel decided to bomb Bethlehem around that time. I'm not sure whether it was Christmas Day or the day before Christmas, but Israel bombed Gaza, Bethlehem, Janine, Syria and Lebanon. It actually was on Christmas Day, so that's the headline. I don't know if you've been looking at the images, but there are thousands now of body bags. There was a particularly horrendous incident just amongst all the other horrendous activity that's been happening in Palestine where a group of men were murdered, Palestinian men, and their organs were harvested. It is really, really just so the massacre is getting worse and the Israel government and the IDF are really, they're out there in plain sight, just murdering, carpet bombing, and really with no no fear because the world isn't doing anything about it. You know, we're just sitting here watching. And for all of us that are concerned, the hundreds and millions of us that are concerned, really it's up to the world leadership to stop this. And no, none of them seem to give a damn, to tell you the truth. Really distressing times. I want to just read some headlines that I saw around Christmas Day. One of them was, we have searched for God and found him under the rubble in Gaza. And that's a Reverend Muntha Isaac, Bethlehem Christmas 2023. I was just looking at Amal Arwood's Instagram page and she said they are openly sharing their crimes. This is Israel. Think about how easily they do that, how confidently they do that and why because they can. And this is really what we're up against now. Even though the world was outraged when a couple of weeks ago the IDF terrorists stripped down um, Palestinian men down to their underwear, and that's a war crime, I might add. And no one, yes, there was an outcry. There were an outcry for me and you probably, the listener, but not from where it matters. All the humanitarian organisations called it a war crime, but it's still happening and they've done it again. And in these images, because they record their atrocities, there are children, there are male children in those groups. Anyway, they're the atrocities that continue in plain view, us watching a genocide. I don't, I want to talk about, uh, some of you would have seen that Marsha Geeson has been talking about, um, has written an essay comparing the genocide, the, the genocide of the Palestinian people with the Holocaust. But that's another episode. I, want to, I don't want to talk about that today. One of what I do want to talk about today is McCarthyism. It's been a thought that's been in my mind for some time and I haven't seen anything out there in terms of comparison, but I'd like to make a comparison. So I've done a little bit of research about McCarthyism. You'll all probably remember that it started in the late 1940s and it was the political repression and persecution of left-wing individuals. I'm reading this off Wikipedia. And a campaign spreading fear of alleged communists and Soviet influence in it, on American institutions, right? It was a campaign 
or a practice that endorses the use of unfair allegations and investigations. So what happened was that it started off simply as keeping an eye on communism coming into the United States. But what it turned out to be was a witch hunt where anyone even suspected of belonging to the Communist Party, being extremely left-wing, you know, and it involves so many people, actors, writers, politicians, all sorts of people. And they, if you were caught, if you were caught, there was such a terrible fear that you would suffer terrible consequences. And, do you know, I've been thinking about McCarthyism and I've been thinking about Palestine and Israel in this conflict. Now, I really feel there's an element of McCarthyism in terms of unfair allegations, in terms of suppressing voices, in terms of propaganda, right, that has come out with the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. And what do you know, like always, the propaganda voice seems to be winning. Now, I'm going to give you some examples of this. I started thinking about it um, very early on when I noticed that journalists have been gagged. I think we're almost at 100 journalists being murdered in Palestine and not just the journalists, but they have also targeted their family. And that kind of got me thinking about silencing the truth because this is exactly what is happening. This is what's happening with the Israeli government, with the terrorist government of Israel and the IDF terrorism is they're taking a lot of footage, they're taking, you know, of their atrocities. A lot of the footage that we see are taken by the IDF because they're so proud of their murderous spree. But I got thinking about it. We've talked about this before on the podcast. Why is it that they want to murder journalists? Why is it that they want to murder aid workers, doctors? Are they? What is it that they're hiding? And this is really what got me thinking about McCarthyism. And then I started to notice that they were gagging journalists New York Times, Washington Post, I'm talking about the first couple of weeks of the genocide. I think things have changed now and I think people are starting to be outraged, even international journalists. But do you know there's been very little discussion about the journalists that have been killed in Palestine in the mastheads? The mastheads have been very quiet about the murder of their colleagues. That has really surprised me. And again, When I'm thinking about that, McCarthyism comes back into my mind. Are they being gagged by their editors? Are they being gagged by the owners of the newspaper? You might remember a few years ago, it was back in 2018, and there was the assassination of a journalist who at the time, I think, worked for the Washington Post, and his name was Jamal Khashoggi. It was a brutal murder committed by the Saudi government, absolutely brutal. It's really distressing, and, and you can look it up if you like. But he was a, he went to the Saudi consulate with his fiancée, and he never came out of that alive. And I don't want to go into it because it really was such a brutal, terrible murder. But do you know every newspaper ran with that? Every masthead was outraged, as they should be as they should be. Once you start killing journalists, you're a very dangerous territory. And in, in a sense, Saudi did that, you know, in plain sight, as the as Israel is doing that in Palestine, in plain sight. 
And there have been books, there have been podcasts, there have been long form articles. So much has written been written on the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Yet if you were to look at the mastheads now, you wouldn't know that Palestinian journalists were being murdered on the ground. Why are they being gagged about that? Why is nobody speaking about all these journalists? Now, there are people speaking, and it's the people on Instagram. There are people like Fatima Bhutto. There are people like Al Jazeera, Middle Eastern News. You know, there's that. But the Western media has largely ignored the murder of journalists. Do you know that blows me away? I just can't even come to terms with that. But anyway... That's what's happening. And as I said, I think it's changing, but it's moving very, very slowly. I want to talk about um, Antoinette Latouf. She is an Australian journalist and she wrote an article very recently. I think it was for Crikey. Very early on at the Opera House, I think it was day one or day two or day three of the violence, that was committed onto the Palestinians, the Opera House shone the Israeli flag. And that was a shock to Australian Arabs because there was the Israeli flag and that was in response to Hamas going into Israel and murdering people and taking hostages. Atrocious, yes. But the retaliation and the eye for eye has not finished, as you know. But anyway, a group of Palestinian supporters, Arab supporters, went uh, to protest at the Opera House, peaceful protest, I might add. There was almost as many police at that rally as there were protesters. But a video went round very shortly afterwards and it showed the protesters and it alleged, it had audio across it, that the protest was shouting, gas the Jews. Now, that's horrible. I could hardly say that. It's so terrible. And I don't want to kind of say that again. But if that were the case, of course, all of those protesters who were saying that should have been arrested, right? There's no room for that kind of racism and bigotry and violence in speech, I think, in the country or anywhere else. But there has been some doubt over whether that soundtrack belonged to that video and whether the The actual video hasn't been verified and it was released by a Jewish fundamentalist group. So Antoinette is investigating this particular video or was investigating, I don't know if she's still doing it, to see whether that actually was what happened because there has been some eyewitness evidence that people weren't chanting that. I'm not going to repeat it because it's so terrible, but that people weren't. Now, if they weren't and if Antoinette is right, Again, it's like the beheading of the babies. It's this, they are incendiary devices put out by the propaganda machine of Israel. And this riles up people. It riled up the US president who then had to go back and make an apology about the beheading of the babies, which didn't happen. So what we're seeing here is lies and propaganda and people trying to decipher the truth. And that's where I get back to McCarthyism again. Antoinette Latouf released this article with a video, truly very concise, very investigative, you know, no conclusion but a lot of doubt at this stage. And what did the ABC do in response? Antoinette had a job with the ABC And the ABC for our international listeners is the Australian broadcaster, the Australian public broadcaster, I might add, uh, paid for by our tax 
money and she lost her job. She was fired over that. Now, again, that brings me back to McCarthyism and free speech. People, journalists, I mean, Australian journalists, and I would say international journalists are afraid of speaking up. People are afraid of speaking up because if they do, they run the risk of losing their jobs. And these people have families, you know, these people... You need to work, you need to, and also journalists need to be journalists. The ABC, I think, I had a conversation with a friend of mine last week and he didn't agree with this, but I think they've been very, very biased towards Israel. Now, a lot of people disagree with me, but that has been my interpretation of it. The Antoinette Latouf is an example I would give. The other interview that absolutely, for those that follow me on Instagram will know, that absolutely made me so upset and crazy was the interview that Patricia Kovalas did with Deborah Conway. Patricia is an ABC presenter and journalist, and Deborah Conway is a singer, singer-songwriter, I think. She's also a Zionist. She talks about being a Zionist quite openly, and recently at one of her music concerts she wore, I think it was a necklace uh, that had the Star of David or whatever on it. Now, this interview, I don't even know how, again, this is the bias, this is the McCarthyism that I'm talking about. Patricia interviews Deborah Conway and she interviews her about the Sydney Theatre Company incident where three actors at the end of a play came out wearing the kefir and it caused an absolute outrage amongst uh, Australian Israelis, well, not all of them, of course, a couple of them. There were resignations, there were this, and, you know, people were upset. Some person on the board couldn't sleep for 48 hours. She was so upset that somebody wore a kefir on stage at the Sydney Theatre Company. So anyway, Patricia decides to interview Deborah Conway and ask her about that and essentially ask her about the relationship between the arts and politics. Well, this Zionist, Deborah Conway, wasted no time telling us her view on what she thinks happened. And my problem, my problem with this interview, I've got a few problems with it, but my problem was was how chatty and giggly the conversation was. It was like two best friends post a party talking about what happened. You know, Patricia laughing and giggling, Deborah laughing and giggling. And at one time, Patricia asked Deborah Conway, you know, um, at her concert, what was she, what happened? And she's like, oh, you know, Patricia, you know, you know what happened. Well, the Zionist then goes on, Deborah Conway, to talk about, um, Uh, what's happening in Israel and how, of course, being a Zionist, that Israel has to protect itself at all costs, including, you know, murdering thousands of people over 75 years. And anyway, she, she then goes on, Patricia tries to pull her up to talk to her about what's happening and says to her, surely, you know, the casualties that are happening now, the murder of children. And do you know what Deborah says? Depends on what you call kids. She says that about the Palestinians. Now, in this giggly, jovial conversation about genocide and ethnic cleansing, Deborah Conway feels absolutely free to go out there with her opinion and to say whatever she likes. So my problem with this is that there were no repercussions here. Um, Patricia Cavallis didn't lose her job. 
and Deborah Conway continues to be spouting hatred and, and violence through being a Zionist, right? If you go and look at her Facebook page, which is just awful, and trying to justify um, her anger and hatred. So that's where I think that if you are pro-humanity, you run the risk of losing your job, whether you're a journalist, whether you're an actor, whether you're a public figure, whether you're a CEO. And if you're pro-genocide in this instance, well, nothing happens. Now, further examples of this are, of course, Hollywood. You look at uh, what's happening over there. Susan Sarandon attends a Gaza rally, a Gaza peaceful rally, and gets dropped by her agent. Selena Gomez, Bella Hadid, there are so many people that have spoken up for Gaza, for Palestine, and absolutely been persecuted. And then you have people like Amy Schumer, Gal Gadot, Jerry Seinfeld, Deborah Messing. Deborah Messing in particular released a video where she's meeting the IDF soldiers. She's bought them a flower. And she's handing them over flowers. She was giggling and she was being really flirty with the IDF soldiers who probably that very day murdered children, babies, women, pregnant women. And there she is up there just really flirting is all I can say. Oh, and she's like, you know, we love you. All of America loves you and thanks you. Well, you know what, Deborah Messing, all of America doesn't. Only some of America does. The whole country doesn't support you, Deborah. The whole country doesn't support the murderous regime of the Israel government and the IDF terrorists. There are many, many hundreds and thousands of people in the United States, as in Australia, as in everywhere else, that have taken to the streets and called for peace and a ceasefire. So that's my message to Deborah if she's listening to this podcast. But seriously, what I'm trying to get at here is the division that you've got pro-genocide and you've got pro-humanity. And it seems that if you are pro-genocide, then your job is safe and you are free to say whatever you like. But if you are pro-humanity, that's when you start to get challenged. That's when you run the risk of, you know, losing your job. That's how Antoinette Latouf got into trouble. You know, that's why a lot of journalists are not speaking up. Two or three days into this conflict, I experienced somebody trying to shut me down. I had a correspondence um, privately through my Instagram, private DM with an author, an Australian Jewish author, and I'm only using those words because she used them. But anyway, she sent me a DM and said, because I'd put up a post about what was happening in Palestine on my Instagram page, and I called it very early, very early on genocide, and uh, she had a problem with that. So she very, it was a, a conversation, it was friendly, there was no bitterness, no accusations, nothing. But she sent me a note and said that I needed to educate myself on what was happening in the region and not to use the inflammatory language that I was using, inflammatory meaning genocide. I also got a couple of other authors that were attacking me and what I was saying on my personal page, right? I kept going. Her and I had a correspondent through DM and it was civil and whatever. I woke up the next morning and all of that conversation was deleted. Somehow she managed to delete. I don't know how what happened, but she obviously had a problem with our private conversation. I don't know why, because I thought it was fine. However, a couple of days later, that very same author rings my colleague through Facebook 
and tells her that there is a group, and her words, not ours, that there is a group of Jewish writers that are targeting Cheryl and her business. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? What a threat. Like why? Because Cheryl is trying is speaking up for the voiceless in Palestine, because Cheryl doesn't agree with the Israeli government and the IDF terrorists of killing innocent Palestinians? I mean, what was that? Anyway, apparently the threat was quite real. I don't know if anything's ever come of it. I haven't heard it. But I have heard from other businesses, lots of other businesses, about being threatened. And, you know, the MO around these threats is, you know, whoever's making these threats, they don't write anything down which is why I suspect my DMs were deleted by this particular author um, because they don't really want anything written down. But there's phone calls. People call someone who calls someone who calls someone and that's how the threats circulate, right? And, again, it has what I think links back to McCarthyism. Why is it that we can't have an opinion about pro-humanity and your opinion is right because it's pro-genocide? A lot of people keep saying to me, it's complex, it's complicated. No, it's not. It's not complicated at all. People are being murdered every single day. That's not complicated. We need to stop this. That's it for me today. Take care and go in peace.